0: This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright.
1: Welcome to the Wealth Ability show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to build better clients, a better practice, and a better life. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of the WealthAbility Network. So the U.S. is on the cusp of massive entitlement expansion. Okay. And and not just expansion to the poor and lower middle income, but actually to the middle income and upper middle income. And what we want to focus on today is how is that going to impact your pocketbook? Okay. And how is that going to impact the pocketbook of your clients and not just in higher taxes, but what other types of impacts might that have Um, on uh, basically the average person or certainly the average business owner and entrepreneur. So I'm with us today. I'm very privileged to have uh, Danny Heil from the Hoover Institute. Uh, Danny, um, great to have you on the show. And uh, Danny is, uh, this is his study. And so I'm just excited to have an expert, especially from the Hoover Institute, which has such high regard um, for your organization. Uh, Would you just give us just a a brief background and what brought you uh, to the Hoover Institute? Sure,
0: sure. So I've been at the Hoover Institution for uh, actually a little over 11 years, Uh, did a a graduate degree at Pepperdine University in Southern California, and then uh, came right up to Hoover after that. And uh, focus has always been on entitlement policies uh, and then a little bit of tax reform too. Uh, Spent a year working for Governor Jeb Bush in uh, 2015 during his presidential campaign, uh that was uh you know doing his tax plan oh, yeah
1: that, that that was like
0: three weeks wasn't it uh, yeah it felt it felt longer on the campaign but yeah it was something like that um yeah and so we did his tax plan uh, which a lot of the ideas from that was taken by other campaigns um uh, and future administrations. Um, and then along with that, we did welfare reform policy and a number of other issues. And uh, the campaign ended and I, I quickly went back to the cushy think tanks job uh, and have been there, been back ever since really looking at the federal budgets and, and federal entitlement programs.
1: That's, that's awesome. So this, uh, this whole um, entitlement expansion is just fascinating. Uh, it, it's fascinating in so many different um, aspects of it. But let's start with why what does i mean right now the child tax credit which is part of this massive expansion you can make four hundred thousand dollars a year and get child tax credit so yep. I, I you correct me if i'm wrong but i i heard recently over 88 percent of americans children qualify
0: yeah no that, that's absolutely right uh and you know it this is something where it's, it's sort of a bipartisan issue and i, I think to, to answer your question and then real quickly it's it's votes right that that we have a middle-class entitlement system because middle-class voters are the, are the ones that elect people. Um, and, and so when you look at something like the child tax credit, that gets bipartisan support. We had uh, the, the expansion in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that pushed it up to $2,000. And then uh, the, the for temporary this year, they have it up to $3,600 for a, a you know family with a child under five. Uh, and uh, the Biden administration is looking to continue that. Uh, and so when you go through the list of programs that they're, they're pushing for, it's a lot of those type of issues where we're going up the income ladder, and I think a lot of it has to do with votes.
1: Why is that? I mean, it it, it seems odd to me that middle and upper middle income. I mean, you know, you make for literally four hundred thousand dollars a year and still get a child tax credit. Where do they think this money's coming from? I mean, what why is it that all of a sudden middle America, who historically was the you know the 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 guts of the hardworking. You know they were known. That this is the, these are the hard workers. These are the entrepreneurs. These are the people who really the 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 um, the the gears of the American economy. Why why this shift that they they're going? Oh well, you know we can we 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 just should get this money. I mean,
0: why not? Yeah, well, I I think part of it is is you know particularly the left thinks that we can finance these things just through higher taxes on, on high income people, right? So it's uh you know the elizabeth warren wealth taxes it's things like that they believe they can finance the system just from those taxes and that's you know if you if you look at your current tax rates and you look at the size of the federal budget you think well maybe we can for at least a short time but you know you and i both know that in the long term you got to pay for these and uh what the left is looking at to do now is really to create sort of a european style social welfare as or social safety nets And that's going to require middle class taxes. And and that's not just something where we can, you know, it's not a hypothetical. It's we can look to Europe and we can see what kind of taxes they have there. And it's a middle class tax system. It's value added tax, it's high social insurance taxes. Uh, And and if we continue down the road of continuing pushing those things, that's where we end up. Uh, But in the short term, people, you know, want their cake or, you know, have their cake and eat it too. And uh, thus far, bondholders seem to be allowing
1: that to happen. So, so you really think this is just basically about that th- this is what America wants, and so we're going to give it to America? I,
0: I think at least in the short term, right, that, that there's definitely this push for it, particularly during COVID, right? You look at during any sort of economic recession and the, the rightful urge, so we want to help people. And if you're middle class, you want to help other middle class families. You want to help low-income people. And uh, when you look at the American Rescue Plan, the, 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 the act that was passed last March, the Stimulus Act, there was a lot of those type of ideas in there these were these were pitched as temporary expansions to help people down on their luck uh, during covid uh and then of course a month and a half after that the biden administration says well let's make all of these tax credits credits permanent um but but it begins with that you know very noble pursuit one of my, my colleagues at hoover is, is john cogan who has a great book uh, called the uh, uh the high cost of good intentions and it's a history of u.s entitlement programs going all the way back to the Revolutionary War pensions. And what he tells is a very similar story time and time again, it begins small, it begins targeted, and very quickly it's just hard to kind of stop it. And I think that's what we're seeing, particularly with the child tax credit, right? If you go through the history of it, you begin with a very small program in the 1990s, and then it slowly expands, becomes more and more refundable, Republicans expand it Democrats expand it and now we're just seeing the sort of the natural progression of it getting to a point where now not only is it re- fully refundable for everyone but we're gonna pay it to you every month as opposed to having to wait till tax time to get it
1: so, so if this is what Americans want what's what's wrong with it
0: yeah well I, as I said you know the, the issue really comes down to uh, somebody's got to pay for it and you know you, you we can in the short term we can borrow money and and we can talk about raising taxes on on high-income individuals but you and I know that, you know, when you start raising rates on high-income people, that leads to all sorts of tax distortions and economic distortions that are really damaging to the economy. Uh, and what we look to when we see in Europe is they figured that out. They don't have high corporate income tax rates. They don't have, you know, relatively high uh, top rates relative to their overall tax system. They have a very broad tax system that taxes the middle class. And, and so for me and for you know, my family, I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned for my, my three-year-old, who I know will be paying higher taxes in the future, uh, because ultimately that's the only way we're going to be able to finance this generous system.
1: Well, let's talk about one other way that the government finances it through inflation. Let's talk about the tax of inflation. So mm-hmm. uh, right now the government's saying, well, we'll just print money. Right, yeah. I mean the 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 bill we had in March that was just print money. There was no taxes to pay for that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and but
1: same with last year. I mean, last year we had five trillion dollars of pretty much let's just print money. Mm-hmm. So printing money, of course, now we have shockingly high inflation. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about that just for a second because in, uh, Warren Buffett described uh, inflation as as effectively as much as a hundred or two hundred percent tax. Um, and he gave the example, I want you to comment on this, Danny. So he gave the example, let's say you, you have a, a widow and um, she's getting 5% on her earnings mm-hmm. and there's 5% inflation. That's effectively a hundred percent income tax. Right. And if she's getting 4% and getting 5% inflation, that's 120% or 125% income tax. So how is it that this inflation, I, I get the, you know, you keep hearing from the administration, oh, this is temporary, this is temporary, this is temporary. But the reality is, you put $5 trillion into the economy, you have a lot of pressure, and especially on things like asset prices, housing prices, et cetera. We see housing prices go through through the roof, in part because of inflation, but also in part because of low interest rates. Well, mm-hmm. uh, could you comment on that? I know Ron Paul. Yeah. Uh, you know, wrote quite a bit on this. What, what's your thinking and the thinking of the Hoover Institution on yeah, this? Yeah,
0: so, so certainly not a monetary policy expert, but, you know, we do have John Taylor at the Hoover Institution, who's famous for the Taylor rule. And, um, you know, I, I think the, the general consensus among right-leaning economists is that, you know, anytime we start printing a lot of money, there's a danger there. There's a danger that uh, eventually bondholders won't get paid back or the government will permanently inflate, right? And, and either of those things lead to really bad uh, consequences, and um, you know, I think the, the 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 Fed has put itself in a role in which the. Uh, how they unwind these things without massive inflation over the long term is, is going to be a very tricky thing to do. Um, and, that's, and that's a big question for, you know, as we continue to expand these entitlement programs is we put more and more strain on our monetary policy leaders and our fiscal policy leaders to actually do this well. Um, and we're leaving, a, you know, far less slack in the system when we continue to spend, spend and spend and borrow and borrow and borrow and the result could very well be higher inflation or it could be, you know, draconian spending cuts or, or higher taxes. It could be any of those three. And, uh, and the longer we wait, the more likely one of those three options are the, are the ones that
1: are going to hit. So in, in your analysis, is there any way, first of all, is there any way that these uh, entitlement programs uh, don't become permanent?
0: So uh, yeah, and that's, uh, you know, it, it, theoretically, if they follow the way that they're writing these laws, a lot of them won't be permanent, right? They, they include all these gimmicks in the, ta- in, the in their uh, legislation that says, oh, this is gonna sunset after five years or the child tax credit. Uh, for whatever reason, Biden says, we're gonna expand it till 2025 and then it goes away. And of course they, they make it go away in 2025 because that's when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the, the individual provisions expire. And so it gets, it, get, it gets really expensive to continue it past that year. But the reality is if you look through the history of US entitlement programs these programs inevitably grow and the only way to make sure an entitlement program doesn't grow is to make sure it doesn't get put into law.
1: Well that that you know I mean <laughs> the reality is every, every employer knows you can give an employee something but once you give it to him you can never take yep. it away. Exactly. Yeah. And I can't imagine that with entitlement programs that's any different but the question is yeah, I, I think that it's a legitimate question are these entitlement programs needed are there people who are struggling so much that this is something that that we you know we we have good hearts we we need to help them out
0: yeah, yeah there's certainly a need in the us and and we have programs in place that that try to get at that and You know, the the big problem with our entitlement system is that far too many of our programs just aren't targeted to those people, right? And and this is the the Biden plan and and what congressional Democrats are proposing. That's exactly what they're doing now is, you know, what what we've estimated, my my colleague John Cogan and I, we've estimated that about 40% of the entitlement spending in these new, in in what the president has proposed, is going to go to people in the top half of the income distribution. And so there are much better ways to help low-income people. And, and there's a couple parts of this that, that you can you know sort of squint and say, yeah, this, this really is targeted to low-income people. So uh, the, the big one is the expansion of the earned income tax credit. So that's, you know, um, uh, right now, childless filers or prior to this year, childless filers received a very small EITC and the rescue plan expanded it this year and, and Biden is looking to make that permanent. And that's one where you can say, yeah, good work incentives, right? It push, it gets people, it encourages people to enter the workforce. There's a ton of economic studies that support that, that case. Um, so that works. But then you look at things like, you know, the child care credits where, you know, you're giving people, uh, you know, what the math I've done is a family of four with an income of $120,000 might not be paying any income taxes and would have, and could very well be getting you know a refundable tax credit. Um, and so that's not going to poverty reduction. That's clearly just going to voters. Um, and 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 that's a system that we simply just can't afford.
1: Yeah, and, and unfortunately, as we we know, middle class voters, middle class um, people are much more likely to vote. <laughs> yeah. Than the uh, than than those that actually need need the help. Mm-hmm. So you say that there's much better ways to do this. Um, Okay, you're in charge. How would you do
0: it? Yeah, I know. And so, you know, things like the earned income tax credit, I think, you know, Mitt Romney and Tom Cotton have proposed some ideas uh, this past year. Uh, you know, there, they were, there were issues with the way they, they went about doing it. But the idea of creating work incentives is, is an excellent way to really alleviate poverty in the long run. Um, you know, so, so programs like that. But when you start going down the road of these large child tax credits and things like that, you know, they, it's clearly not targeted towards getting people back in the workforce or, or anything that we really should care about. The left is going to say, though, that, well, these child care credits, they're the ones that are really going to get people back in the workforce, because this way, you know, uh, two parent families, they can go and, and both into the workforce and have those child care subsidies. And, you know, you just, you can't find much in the economic literature that says big subsidies for that really matter. You look in Europe and you, you see they have those type of policies and you don't see, you know, high uh, workforce participation rates. But the answer, the, the conservative answer is always going to be, we want to get people back in the workforce. We want to make sure that they have the right incentives to, to work, save and invest in their future. Uh, and, and certainly our current welfare state doesn't do that.
1: So, so let me ask you about the other entitlement. So I think the child tax credit is an entitlement. That, that That's a tough one sometimes to argue against, right? I mean, you're talking about children, you're talking about, you know, parents that have children and and they, you know, they can struggle. Let's go to the, let's go to the junior college. Okay. The community college entitlement, which is mm-hmm. right. Free, free, two years of college for everybody. Yeah. Um what do you think the impact of that is? I mean, certainly there is an issue with education. I'm not sure it's it's the uh, junior college is going to solve that, but certainly we do have an issue with education, particularly among the poor and in, in the yeah. minorities. Um, so how do you think that will play out? Is that something that you think? I mean, child tax credit, in my mind, probably better chance of passing yeah. um, than than the uh, junior college, but how does that how do you think that plays out?
0: Yeah, so I mean, there's there's a host of these type of programs, right? They have universal pre-K uh, that they're proposing. Uh, they have the the free ch- the free community colleges for two years, uh, home healthcare, you know, a bunch of a bunch of other ones that, that go into this. And I, I think the, the bigger problem with these is really the incentives it creates for the suppliers of these things. Uh, you know, we, we saw with Medicare when Medicare got first put in place, the people who really benefited from it were doctors who all of a sudden had you know the federal government writing big checks and uh, you look at uh, you know some really interesting lobbies over the
1: year have formed. Well, look, look, look what happened with the student loans, and look what yeah, happened. And, and, and that's and, and that would be my concern. The about, system and how how high tuition has gone up yeah. as a result of
0: student loans. Yeah, and, that, and that's my concern with, say, like the universal pre-K or the community colleges is that really you're creating this whole new entitlement, uh, not just for the, the actual students, but you're actually creating it for the people supplying these things. And that produces not only bad incentives to over, you know, to increase costs on community colleges and elsewhere, but uh, it also just creates sort of a paternalistic element to this, right, that the federal government's going to be mandating what community college curriculum looks like or, or what the, what preschools count for the universal prequel for for universal preschool. And, uh, and those are the things that, you know, as, as free market conservatives, we should be very concerned about. It's not just the the cost of it. We we saw that
1: right with the the, uh, state aid that came in March. Mm -hmm. Look, if you reduce taxes, then we're going to take this money back. If you don't do this, we're going to take this money back. So it does seem like it's a pretty big hammer, uh,
0: exactly for every carrot there's a cudgel right and that's what we're seeing and that's what we'll see with these new programs you don't have to look back very far you can see this in other entitlement programs over the years that the government begins with oh we'll give you benefit and before you know it you know in in the 1960s they're they're going to people's homes to make sure that there was no man in there and checking to make sure there's no men's shoes in the closets uh, right and so you get that paternalistic element and in, in you're uh and we should be very concerned about that and certainly the more government spends the more power they're going to have over over what we do and what we say
1: well, on a practical basis Danny i i know you're in, in your ivory tower but <laughs> pretend you're not pretend you're on a you're uh, you're not you're, you're not in that ivory tower and you're an entrepreneur or you're a uh, you know you're in, you're in the business world what do you what do you do about it i mean really you know there's one thing to do tax planning that's a whole different animal right mm-hmm. but the reality is is once you get the entitlements uh it, once the entitlements get in there they're never Coming away, and there's no way that the Republicans say, "Oh well, we're going to cut taxes, uh, but and we're going to cut entitlements." I mean, we've seen we've seen Social Security, right? That doesn't <laughs> happen. So practically, is there anything that 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 the average person can do about this?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the, the first thing to do is is to, to lobby hard to make sure that some of these bad things don't get passed, right? I mean, they, as I said before, it's very hard to find an example of an entitlement policy that's gone away and hasn't expanded over time. And so once it gets put into law, very hard to do anything about it. But, you know, I, I would say the, the few examples that you can point to where we actually had substantive change, a lot of it was focused on incentives. And this is something that entrepreneurs can speak, you know, really well to is the the idea that, you know, take the the Welfare Reform Act of 1997. um, This was a a, a actual removing a bad federal entitlement program and replacing it with one that had much better work incentives. Uh, And that's something that, you know, the the business community got behind and pushed for. uh, And you had, you know, 20 years of efforts to get that put into place. Uh, And the result was incredibly positive, both for recipients and also, you know, for getting them back into the workforce and things like that. But, uh, you know, there there are there are no good solutions to an, an out of control entitlement state and I, I think the uh uh you know europe is is what we have to look to as as a place where if we don't get our entitlement system under control you have a far less dynamic economy you have people making decisions between working or not working because they're you know can go get that government check and that changes the their cost benefit analysis when they decide to enter the workforce so uh, it really, the best suggestion is is to to push to make sure these things don't get put into place. Um, and if they do, uh, you know that's that's where it gets tricky.
1: So, so it's interesting. You know, there there is a big push of you know what, what's wrong. I mean, Europe's a great place, and I, mm-hmm. I agree. I lived in Europe for uh, a couple of years, and uh, there's some great things about Europe. I, I think what people don't understand is that Europe is not America. <laughs> so <laughs> what, what we get out of uh, out of the American way of life is very different um, mm-hmm. than what Europeans want out yeah, of their no. way of life, quite frankly. And uh, and so I, I think that to, to say, well, it's okay to be Europe is fine, mm-hmm. except we're not Europe. I mean, we're, we're not okay. You know, you have half the people who won't wear a mask, you know, when, mm-hmm. the, when there's a pandemic, right? So and ha- another half the people won't even get vaccinated. Right, and so so you know you got a very different yeah, well, and and you know I, I think we should pay we should look very
0: closely at what the like, European labor markets look like, uh, and, and when you when you actually dig in there, what you find is some very disturbing trends that people should not be very enthusiastic about. For example, Uh, So, you know, incredibly low uh, productivity rates, and which means that wages don't grow very fast. And so you see over the last 20, 30 years, uh, wages have stagnated across much of Europe um, as as people have left the workforce and uh, uh, high high unemployment rates, particularly among low skilled workers. Uh, So if you're a teenager in Europe, much more likely to not be able to find a job than in the U.S., and so there's a lack of dynamism there um, that really does affect, you know, long-term economies. So you look at the growth rates across Europe, you know, we, we complained about, you know, the new normal of 2% in the U.S. And, and much of Europe would kill for a 2% real growth rate. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's, a, it's a absolutely a choice to be made. But you look at places in Europe that really committed hard to the social welfare state, say back in the 1970s, places like Sweden, where, you know, they were close to adopting wholesale socialist type policies. And they had to walk that back. And, you know, you certainly could look at the UK in the 1970s. And they had to walk a lot of those things back. And so, uh, you know, I I think uh, the average European might say, oh, it's great to have that paid family medical leave. It's great to have all of these things. But it sure would be nice to be able to have a little bit more, you know, dynamism in my economy too. And that's something they just completely lack.
1: Got it. So one last question for you, Danny. So um, I'm a a big believer in teaching people how to fish versus giving them fish. Now, on a temporary basis, you got to give them fish. But... Um, and, you know, cause they, they, you, you can't, you don't want to starve them out on a long-term basis though, is there, what do you see? And I know you're not, you know, education is not really your, your, your expertise, but do you see that as part of the issue here that there's a bit, such an emphasis on uh, giving people something as opposed to teach them uh, how to, uh, you know, improve yeah. their life better?
0: Well, and certainly the, the US education system is is a wreck, right? And and particularly we've seen during COVID, just the inequality that that our education system produces. Um, and you know, if you're if you're low income in America, you've had a really rough COVID the last year and a half under COVID. If you have a kid in school. Uh, if you're high income, your kid's been in private school, you have all the technology needed to, to really get by. And so uh, there's definitely a, a desperate need to invest more in it. Now, is it more money? Maybe not. It's, it's providing control to the right people. And at the Hoover Institution, we have a number of different initiatives that are really focused on uh, school choice and, and other reform issues that are really key in, in improving outcomes, and in, in especially for low-income students. Uh, but beyond that, I think it's incentives, um, and that's something that you know our our entitlement state lacks entirely. We we discourage work, we discourage savings, we just we encourage people to leave the workforce early with, through uh, you know Social Security and Medicare. Uh, time and time again, we're we're giving people bad incentives, and particularly for young people, that's huge, um, and and that that keeps them out of the workforce. Uh, you know, I I did a paper a few months ago on the universal base on a universal basic income, where we essentially asked you know what would it look like if if everyone every adult in the U.S. Got you know a ten thousand dollar benefit, and you think, well, this is great because you know there's no negative incentives attached to it. But when you actually look at the literature, what you find is that people stay out of the workforce. Uh, that there will be a subset of people who ought not to go and get that job because they they can get by with the assistance. So uh, I'd say education is a big component, but it's also really important to think deeply about the incentives, and that's something that certainly the Biden administration hasn't really given much thought to in their current efforts. And it's something that for too long, I think a lot of conservatives have sort of kind of put to the side and we focused on, oh, how expensive are these programs? But the true cost of these programs go far beyond what you know it means to taxpayers. It's, it really affects the recipients of these programs. And that's something we should be much more focused
1: on than we are. That makes sense. So the good news is, is our listeners are all entrepreneurs or represent entrepreneurs <laughs> and entrepreneurs can do something about it. And I actually think that there are, you know, when it comes to Uh, Devising ways to educate people, educating clients, uh, educating our children, you know, those are all things that we actually can do. And uh, those are things that we can personally have a positive impact. I'm not sure that we can, you know, outside of uh, convincing uh, my senator, uh, Kirsten Sinema, um, to hold fast and not give in um, to uh, the pressures from the left. Um, outside of that, it seems like a lot of it is stuff that as entrepreneurs, we probably can do quite a bit our, uh, our ourselves to contribute rather than contributing by you know, massive tax increase, et cetera, but rather by actually creating opportunities for um, underprivileged uh, children, for teaching um, financial education and so forth. So I, I do think that there's a lot of opportunities. I really appreciate Danny. Um, thanks for coming on our yeah, show. It's uh, been fantastic to have you. Very, very interesting uh, perspective. Any final words for the audience?
0: No, I, I thank you for having me again. I, you know, it's, it's a subject that's near and dear to my heart and uh, certainly something that uh, you know I think more people need to be focused on. So I mean, this is a great audience to, to really be thinking deeply about it.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Danny Heil with the Hoover Institution. And thank you, everybody. Just remember that when we are really focused on education and letting our clients know what's going on and helping them let their families and their employees and their people know what's going on, that's how we make a difference and we always end up with better... Clients, better practice, and a better life. We'll see you next
0: time. You've been listening to the Wealth Ability for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.